Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week, we take a look at the text, we talk about the text, and then we offer up a special musical offering related to the text. This week, uh, for the Ash Wednesday experience, we, uh, we <laughs> we're talking about a call to fasting that is shockingly deep. We're talking about the incredible perseverance of the people of God. And we're talking about a God who sees in secret and our struggles with that. The text for Ash Wednesday come from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 and verses 12 through 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20b through chapter 6, verse 10, and the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 21. This first reading uh, is from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and 7, or I'm sorry, 12 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord, the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again from the after them in the ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rends your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even the infants at breast. Let the bridegroom leave his canopy, and the, bri the bridegroom leave his room, and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why, does she, why should it be said among the people, where is, your, where is their God? Hmm. So, a couple things strike me about this. Um, one is just the disconnect to our lived reality or the feeling in our hearts, I guess, in particular. Hmm. Like, Same I feel way. like... 
Like we get to the season of Lent and I don't think it is this dramatic 99 times out of a hundred. I don't think the feelings of contrition and remorse and the practices of fasting and everything else that they are quite so uh, turned up to 11. They're just like, I'm Mm. going to not have chocolate for 40 days or I'm going to stay off of Facebook and stuff like, and those are all good, but I think it just feels like a disconnect from rending your hearts and, um, having the priests and ministers weeping, praying, spare your people, O Lord. I just, it's one part that I struggle with. It feels a little disingenuous um, to use this text when that's not where we're at. And I don't know that if I look at the world, I can't find reasons to be there. Mm-hmm. I do know that for me, in my own place, it is descripted that I don't think we're there. You know? It's not that there's not reason. It's not that there's not cause. But we're not there. Yeah. And so I wonder, is this, I mean, to use from a Lutheran context, the law and gospel way of preaching to like really, really, really lay into the law, like to really help people feel the, the need of the world, I guess. But at the same time, like, I don't know. And maybe this is more about me than anything else. I I don't want to just ground people into the ground either. Yeah. And even to think of it from a slightly different perspective about the ways that we feel isolated or that we feel abandoned by God and to give voice to that experience as well. And also give voice to the experience of where we feel destruction in our lives and where we feel destruction inside of our bodies, you know? Like, these are physical things that the people of God are going through. And and sometimes I think we look strictly to our relationship with God as a moment of, you know, do I feel deep terror or terrifying or, or something like that? And I'm not sure we're meant to compartmentalize these verses, you know? Where in all of our life, in all of our experiences, is there pain, is there grief, is there mourning? And where in the rest of the world are those same things too? And how do our practices of, in this case, it sounds very much like contrition of, you know, the the classic Lenten disciplines of prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, right? Like, how do they turn us toward those that are suffering, those that are feeling abandoned, or put us in closer connection with our own feelings of inadequacies and need for help, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, this is, and we'll probably talk more about it as we get into some of the other readings, especially the Matthew reading, but it's one of the things that I've struggled with of what are the point of these uh, penitential practices? Um, is it to humble ourselves before God and 
help us realize that we need help beyond ourselves and we're dependent on God every time our stomach growls when we fast we remember that all those good things come with from God and all of that is it to help us feel solidarity with our neighbors with our siblings in God who are hungry who are in need so we can uh, be closer or is it something else? Uh, and it's something I've gone back and forth on, and I think there's a lot of different answers. And I, I suspect I'm not the only one that's been wondering about that. Yeah. Well, I don't know that there has to be an answer. Mm-hmm. The only th- the only thing I find myself doing right now is to steer us away from an understanding that this is simply because we don't like it. Um, as if we're taking on some kind of um, punishment to earn God's favor back. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what this is about at all. No, no, no. This is not, uh, this doesn't, if we fast for X number of days or we put so much money in the almsgiving, then God is beholden to us. That That doesn't track but how does it remind us of God's faithfulness to us? And how does it remind us of our fragility and need for God's grace? I think those are the questions that are worth exploring. In, inside of these practices, I think there is experiential learning. Um, but also inside these practices, I think there's opportunity for us to grieve. Mm-hmm. And to really be in connection with some of our some of the ways that we are indeed being broken. Some of these practices are good uh, for experiencing that brokenness. Some of these practices might work against those experiences of a brokenness. And so I think they're not all prescriptive for being used at the same time or being used every time. But especially for a group of people who might find, I don't know, like, I don't feel this call. I don't know you know, where this call might be. These practices sometimes are a way of interrupting our lives and helping us find our brokenness, not create our brokenness, but helping us reconnect with our brokenness. All right. Our second reading comes from second Corinthians chapter five, verses 20 B through six ten. God is making uh, his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. On a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, Now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true. 
as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. This feels, uh, this weight of uh, the the many, many actions that are listed uh, in verses 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 um, and 9 and 10. Uh, I, I think the weight of those actions feel just as heavy as the weight of the actions of fasting and prayer and petition um, and sackcloth and ashes. And yet, the actions feel different. Seem like they're in service to others. They seem like they're in for the betterment of um, not just self, but the community around us. And I feel like that difference strikes me for some reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the fasting, almsgiving, and prayer, that's, it feels like for a particular time and a particular season, at least that's usually how we treat it. Um, but these things that are listed of enduring beatings and imprisonments and afflictions and hunger and sleepless nights, et cetera, et cetera, that they feel like every day. Like, this is not something that's just for 40 days, not including Sundays. Um, and I'm reminded, and maybe that could be a way into a sermon as well, that these, much like the way our worship on Sunday is supposed to transform our lives for Monday through Saturday as well, um, these penitential seasons are meant to transform our lives for, you know, the other 320-some days of the year. And so, I mean, I'm reminded of the Luther quote, well, Bonhoeffer uses and then comes from Luther and all of that, but that um, when Christ said repent, he meant that our whole lives be one of repentance. And... I don't know. I think that could be a way in. Like, how is your life going to be transformed by whatever practices you take up over this penitential season? I think sometimes we're overwhelmed by the nature of that question. Like, how many times do we have to hear as Christians, overhaul your life? Mm -hmm. And eventually, I think we either grow fatigue uh, towards the question, or we grow ears that know how to ignore. Mm -hmm. And I think that my congregation and I have done well in growing both. Yeah, and I think when it gets overwhelming, I mean, it sounds exhausting to have a whole life of repentance. I think that there's, at the beginning of this pericope, is a good comfort that it's Christ who became sin, who knew no sin for our sakes, um, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that it all starts and ends with Christ. Uh, so it doesn't all depend on us. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that that is helpful. But still, when I look at the rest of my life, there's just a ton of prescription from the outside on things that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. How do we help people to hear that and be energized instead of hear that and shut down? I mean, for me, I really, I love this passage and it comes up a couple times uh, in the cycle, the Revised Common Lectionary cycle. Uh, one of the times I think is in a Pentecost season sometime in the summer or something. And it sounds very different then um, because what I'm drawn to is that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Mm-hmm. That that moment that you've been waiting for God to act in this world, to transform your life and transform the world. It's not far off in the future, but it's happening now. That's what's encouraging to me. Um, That's why the tough work of repentance and those myriad things that Paul describes uh, of suffering for the faith, that's why it's worth it because it's happening now. Yeah, this unrest that we heard in Joel uh, about uh, inside the people for their own selves and for the the things that they see throughout the promised land and the rest of the world. I think that this these texts are connected to the unrest that we see inside of our community and inside of our lives. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it takes a little bit of getting in touch with that in unrest um, before the call to overhaul our lives makes sense. Or at least before the call to overhaul our lives is met with a little bit of energy instead of throwing it on top of the to-do pile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a part of Ash Wednesday and and Lent in particular is a call to kind of take our lives out of gear for a little bit um, so that we can we can determine actually where we're standing actually where we are in life Um, the call to repent doesn't make any sense without Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-understanding and the call to change doesn't make any sense without an understanding of what our actions are Yeah, I mean, I see Lent and Ash Wednesday in particular as a truth-telling season or day. Mm -hmm. Like, about the need of ourselves and the need of our worlds and our own shortcomings, but also a time to um, speak out against the lies that we tell ourselves or the lies that the world tells us. Especially, I love verses uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10 in this Mm. as well. Like... We're treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known. Like, those kind of things, I feel like that's what Ash Wednesday is about. Like, we know our limitations. We know what it feels like to be dust and to know we will return to dust and to feel the weight of our sin and to feel the weight of the brokenness of our world. But also, that doesn't mean that we're unknown to God. In fact, we're well-known. That doesn't mean that we are imposters as we try and be Christ's hands and feet for the world. Like, it's genuine. This is really happening. Yeah. I think that's huge in what Ash Wednesday is about. Yeah. It kind of comes back to what we said at the beginning. 
while we don't feel like we are in this heavy state of repentance yet, um, that truth <clears throat> looking in the world and that truth telling about our lives helps us helps us understand why we might be closer than we think. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that, I don't know, inside of our conversation so far, I've been feeling the uh, the burden of privilege. Mm-hmm. There's a re <clears throat> there's probably there's probably an unfair reason why I might be able to ignore my burdens easier than others, and there's probably mm-hmm. an unfair reason why I might be able to not even sense hardship in seasons of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, do not have always these same options or these same moments. And so if I don't feel this, and yet I can see in the world that others do, there might be something to dig in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that could be the message. Is yeah. It's a way of reconnecting with that, yeah. uh, overcoming the barriers of privilege and comfort. Yeah. Should we hop over to uh, old Matthew? Sure. Uh, well, I can read that if you don't mind. Go for it. All right. So Matthew chapter six, verses one through six, and then jumping ahead 16 to 21. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they might be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may, not be, may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Apparently there's things that we should not do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it, uh, I don't know why it struck me this way, but it reminded me of those like uh, little booklets you get with like kitchen appliances. And the front of it's always labeled like safety and uh, other information or something like that. And then you look in and it's just like a list of do nots, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do not take a shower with this product. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh -huh. Do not use it as a football. Like, I don't know, it's just the weirdest stuff of like, there's got to be a story behind that one. And, and so we get into a list of do nots here. And I wonder if there's stories behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be about the dangers of our, our piety being used to aggrandize ourself. Yeah. We slip into that. I know that uh, my intentions are not always pure when I'm teaching or preaching or something like that. You know, you, you get that thing where like, I want somebody to say, that was a great sermon, Pastor. You were really talented. And I go, wow, thank you. You know, I'm not always thinking, oh, geez, I really want to give glory to God and help people bolster their faith and stuff and all of that. Like, it's really easy to slip into that. You know what? Like, this is not going to be super about the text, but it might come around to it. But let's talk about that. Like, mm -hmm. there, I have, at least I think I've found lately that if, if ever, not if ever, I'm trying not to use hyperbole, much of the time when I, when I indeed am looking to see what others think about the sermon, it's largely due to my own insecurity. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know if either what I said landed in the right way, or I am concerned about the relationship between myself and the people after that sermon, or I, I feel like, um, I, I feel like, you know, maybe I was stumbling in my delivery or I was stumbling in, um, from time to time, my preparedness and, and like, there's all kinds of insecurity that can come into it. And so I, I feel a little less like, you know, people who look for hearty congratulations, but just people who look for assurance, you know, and, and I feel like those are two different moves. Maybe they're not, but no, One's I think it makes sense. A, yeah. Like, totally. And I think it relates really well to the text. Yeah. Like, especially that line when you've got the people who are in Jesus's story here where they're shouting and putting a trumpet before them and announcing that and making themselves look really miserable while they fast and things like that. Like, each time Jesus says, they've already received their reward. Like, being like having like that is what our comfort should lie in knowing that god has seen god knows you know god knows that we're trying our best down here and nothing is added or taken away from that and but can we live like that like honestly like mm -hmm. can we live entire lives where words that are clear are spoken to, uh, without words that are clear and spoken to us about reassurance and, and, you know, like support. I think those words are super important. Yeah. And if we're struggling to hear them from God, whether in our own discernment or just our own insecurity shout louder than our ears can listen, that's a real tough place to exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Like, I think we can admit that too, mm -hmm. that we have these insecurities that we either, we need to hear that external word, word that like, uh, our God in heaven hears us and has acknowledged us and knows what we're going through and hears our prayers and, 
you know, our acts of fasting are not unnoticed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's part of why the community of believers exists. Uh, but also our propensity to be like the hypocrites that we act out in our, in our insecurities. And it's not a good thing, but it happens and God knows it happens. And we can be honest about that and ask for forgiveness and all of that. I think of, if you know who the quote is from, I forget who, where I heard it. Um, someone knows, I'm sure, but uh, where someone said, to another person, you know, I don't go to church because it's, it's full of hypocrites. And she said, oh, that's not true. You know, we've got plenty of room for more. You should come someday. Like to have that level of honesty that, yeah, this is where we are. Like we act out on our insecurities and we all try and do better together. And we all try and be honest about that together. I think that's helpful. I really do. And, like both and, I, I'm feeling defensive about looking for words of reassurance from one another. Maybe it's in the way that we do it, um, or maybe it's that we're putting our hope in the, in the words of others instead of in the words of God. But like, I've come to believe lately that sometimes the words of God are spoken by the lips of others. Mm-hmm. And... No, I don't think we should be trumpeting um, every <laughs> uh, at the beginning of each act. And no, I don't necessarily believe that that our charitable giving should be a, a public act and, and anything else. But at the same time, where is there room for us to be known by one another and the whole of us to be known by one another? Why do all of our actions have to be a secret and why does this feel like we're being splintered instead of unified? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though, is I don't think that this is just a every act of piety should be done in secret. Um, because, I mean, we have other stories where Jesus publicly praises the widow who gives her last two coins. I mean, Jesus is like watching people put money in the offering, you know, he's not doing secret almsgiving type of stuff. And he announces to people, you know, great is your faith, your faith has saved you, that kind of a thing. So I think it's there where you can lift and uplift and celebrate people's uh, faithfulness and all of that. I think the issue is, I mean, I think it's asking that question of where does it come from? Um, is it because we are so insecure about our acceptance before God that we seek out the acceptance of others? Yeah, maybe. I feel like in this text, instead of just working through the prescriptions, it might be good to wrestle with this, you know, this, this, and maybe it's just good for me to wrestle with it. I don't know. But this understanding that a father who sees in secret may or may not mean to keep our own existence in secret, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it might just be that a father who sees in secret lets us know that we're not alone. 
Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know, a little bit of a larger context thing helps with this too. If this is the route, maybe Jesus was going as well. Um, Cause we've got right after this, there's a couple of other teachings about you can't serve God and wealth and things like that. And then you get that whole passage of uh, do not worry, you know, consider the lilies of the field or the, um, yeah, the lilies of the field and all of that kind of a stuff. Like it's this reassurance that God does in fact care for you. And I wonder if that is intentional that this isn't just a miscellaneous collection of Jesus's sayings, but that co- that connection to God really cares for you. And also this warning of don't be so consumed with trying to earn the praise of others by your, by your religiosity, that that's connected. Yeah. I mean, this is also a text just like, just like you pointed to after, but, uh, and before, you know, in the context of the sermon, on the Mount. And so, you know, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the, in five with Beatitudes mm-hmm. and it continues with salt and light and, uh, the light of the world. Um, and we spoke before on this podcast about how connecting those two might be a continuation of the blessings, you know, instead of just saying to everybody in general, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Maybe to say to the poor and to the hungry, the meek um, and the persecuted, you are the salt of the earth and you mm-hmm. are the light of the world. To bring, to bring a positive valuation from the highest place uh, for these people that are often seen as lowly. And what if this continues uh, in that string, you know, mm-hmm. um, that our almsgiving doesn't need to be trumpeted in the way that others can and we cannot. And our giving doesn't need to be a public act of shaming in a way that sometimes we feel. Yeah, yeah, you're already, it's already been declared, you are the light of the world, you are blessed, you are the salt of the earth, you are all of that, like you don't need to prove it. Yeah. And so now this father who sees in secret seems less like a condemning action where we're not allowed to talk openly about our lives and more like a father who sees in secret that sees all of you, including your intentions, and is more likely to be gentler than the rest of the world that might condemn us. Mm -hmm. You know, Ben, that reminds me of the song. Nice. Well, uh, what do you got? What's your, your track? Well, I went a little on the nose for Lent, at least the beginning of Lent, but I did use the words of Bonnie Tyler in Total Eclipse of the Heart. (laughs) Nice. Um, yeah. So in addition to the like billion times that we hear turn around, um, we also have this neat exploration of what we're feeling and what we're going through um and how this this desire to turn around and this desire for others to be turned around which is a corporate notion that i think sometimes we don't talk about in lent um is all connected you know 
we are tied up inside of one another and just as much as our health takes us turning around it also takes others turning around Now, I know this song is, you know, centrally located in a love between two people. Um, but also, I think it could be corporate, you know? What does it look like for us to feel like we want the rest of the world to turn with us? And what does it look like for this song to be sung to us and to the world? Um, and our needs to be found in one another, and especially centrally in Christ. Hmm. Cool. That's very good. Yeah, I like the um, applying it on an individual basis, like that turnaround to ourselves and that turnaround to the world. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I chose a song. Uh, again, I'm doing a cover, uh, but this was originally done by Peter Gabriel and then was covered by Arcade Fire called My Body as a Cage. Mm. and it's you know pretty somber um some of the words go um i'm standing on a stage of fear and self-doubt it's a hollow play but they'll clap anyway my body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one i love but my mind holds the key and i chose this one uh kind of like what we were talking about with Ash Wednesday, I see as a very much a truth-telling festival and uh, being honest about our limitations and uh, the ways that we are, you know, kept from dancing with the ones that we love. And whether that be God, we can talk about it in that sense, that estrangement that we feel, or with our neighbors, uh, as we were talking before about people who are um, suffering in ways that are different from what our what might be our experience um, and so this can be a time of connection Yeah, I really like the physicality that it brings through and the the vulnerability that it th comes through and, and being up on that stage and and being seen and sometimes in ways that we wish we weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Well. I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Join us next week as we take a look at the first Sunday in Lent. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for hanging around with us and 
And I hope that we're able to walk this Lenten journey together in, in a way that's beneficial to all and and also in a way that's beneficial to us. Yeah, we'll talk with you next week and look forward to it. Bye. We'll see you later.